In the name of God who loves us, who once walked among us and who spurs us ever on. Amen. Please be seated. So, I don't know if it's me, if it's the readings this morning, or if it's just something that's going on in the air with everything changing, but there is absolutely no coherency in this sermon at all. So, it's just a bunch of different kind of popcorn ideas that are going on in my head that I can't settle down, um, and you'll just have to keep up. That's all I can say. So, you know, sometimes, um, you know how they say that, that... Art imitates life, or maybe life imitates art. Sometimes the Bible is so right on. Listen to to what the writer of James said again. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? Well, thinking about that this week led me to the gospel story that we had about how the disciples were arguing on the way who was the greatest. So they're, they're moving from one place to another, and as they walk, they're having this conversation amongst themselves, who is the greatest among them? And all I could do was flash back to watching that, um, that event on television this week, you know. They said it was a debate, but it really was just this sort of bellicose language that just kept ratcheting up and ratcheting up and ratcheting up, and I thought this is exactly what Mark was talking about in the gospel. I mean, it's just all this conversation about who is the greatest. There, there's no sense to it. There's no listening to it. There's no, there's no receptivity to it. It's just, it's just noise. It's just language that ratchets up and up and up until finally it's unbearable and it's on TV all the time. I mean, it's just, it's just what we have been accustomed to. And the interesting thing is, is, is that when Jesus confronts the disciples, when they finally stopped in Capernaum, and they're probably in the house, or, or they stopped to rest, and, and Jesus, Jesus kind of pins their ears back. He says, so what were you talking about on the way? And he knows what they were talking about. He overheard them because they were talking at some decibel level that was unimaginable. And they do what? They fall silent. Mark is really clear They stop talking. When Jesus says to them, what was going on, they don't have an answer for that. Because Jesus pierces through this this immense egotism of all of these people who are arguing about who's the greatest, and when he gets underneath that conversation, they realize that they don't have any answer, at least any answer that makes sense or any answer that they are proud of. Oh, we're talking about who's more powerful. We're talking about who's the greatest among us. We're talking about who who has the biggest house or the fastest car or the best job. We're talking about all the things that that seem to be talked about all the time nowadays. Now, I I don't think that that it's by chance that that, that these aspirants for political office are doing what they're doing because they're unthinking I think rather they're doing what they're doing because they're probably pretty smart. And they realize that they are, they are operating in a, in a su- culture, in a society where it's the loudest voice that gets the most attention. Huh? Just ask Mr. Trump. 
It's the one who's the most bellicose, who says the most outrageous things, who says them at the loudest decibel, is the one who people seem to be paying attention to. Because all around that is just more noise. Just more noise. And louder noise. I heard a baseball announcer a couple of months ago say, you know, the problem now with these big PA systems is, is that you used to, 30 years ago, you go to a baseball game, and there'd be moments of silence in between the innings, you know? It would actually be quiet. But now, with the music and, and, and with all the stuff going on, it's never a quiet moment in the ballpark anymore. It's noise all the time. And that's just a reflection of, of what's happening in the world around us. It's just noise all the time. And Jesus seems to pierce through that and is able to, to create silence. So what were you talking about? So what is so important? So what does make sense? And for that, they had no answer. But then what Jesus does is it's surprising because then, and it's not just in Mark, it's in, in all the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Mark it happens twice, really close together. What does Jesus do? Jesus takes a child or children and he brings them to him and he says something about, the, about authentic life is reflected in these children. Life is reflected in these children. Now, I send out a, a birthday card to your little ones um, often, and it's got that quintessential picture of Jesus um, underneath an elm tree. How Jesus ever got to be underneath an elm tree, I don't know. With, you know, half a dozen children of every different race, color, and creed all around him. And they're all really happy. And it's a beautiful picture. And I went online this week because it intrigued me. And I saw there are tons of paintings of, of Jesus um, underneath some kind of a tree with all these happy children around him. And, and we seem to take on this idea that that notion of Jesus with the children around him is, is something about pastoral simplicity or childlike innocence. Or, or the sense of, of, of overwhelming hospitality towards the little ones. But actually, it wasn't that at all. What it was, was it was a political statement. It was Jesus' revolutionary concept about, about who is to obtain the kingdom. And it's not the bombastic, loud ones. It's the most vulnerable among us that are there for the kingdom. Because, you see, children in Jesus' times had no rights. They had no standing. It was, it, was, it was explicit Greco-Roman law that children could be sold into slavery. Parents could sell their children into slavery. Parents could put their children into indentured servitude for money. Children were the least among us in that society. Now, there's no doubt that parents have always loved their children, and children have always loved their parents. That's not the question. But what Jesus is saying is, is that who is it in, in this society who, who is most vulnerable to, to whatever happens around them, the vagaries of life? Well, it's the children. And what Jesus is saying is, is it's the children that we want to lift up and say what happens to children happens to us. Children are indeed... The, the canaries in our mine, our corporate mine. And what happens to children is what's happening to our society. And I invite you to take a look at, at what is happening in our society with the role of children today. 
as more and more programs, national programs and state programs get cut because of, of funding restrictions. As, as teachers don't get increased pay, as, as more and more things happen that, that seem to restrict what's happening to our children, it's not just a reflection of what's happening in an individual school. It's a reflection of how we as a society feel about our children who are still the most vulnerable among us. Marion Wright Elliman, um, um, yes, you probably know, just this amazing woman who, who has run forever this thing called the Children's Defense League. She said, um, it is children who are God's presence, promise, and hope for all humankind. It is children who are God's presence, promise, and hope. It's not a politician. It's not a cleric. It's not the president. It's not the pope. It's our children who are God's promise and hope for all humanity. So to look inward and, and realize what that means for us in terms of, of our, our responsibility to our children, I think it's time to look anew. And to quit listening to the voices that are so loud and to start listening to the softest voices among us. The softest voices among us. So following this line of children, one of the things that, that I began to read about and realize was is that, that, that with soft voices, then children are more receptive they actually are, are, are little sponges. They actually take in more than they give out. They listen more than they speak. <coughs> and so what does it mean to be a listener? When Jesus says that the kingdom is, is like one of these, I wonder if Jesus is not talking about that sense of receptivity as, as opposed to that sense of excessive action. What does it mean to listen? What does it mean to receive. Living in a time and a place where there's just so much noise, we forget that, that, that it is possible even for us to listen. So I, 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 I ponder the question, what does it mean to be, to be a listening community rather than a talking community? There's something about, about who we are and what we do that, that we all have a voice, and I think it's wonderful that we all have a voice, but I wonder if for too long we all haven't used our voices um, too much and have not used our ears often enough. I reflect back on those men and that one woman standing there in front of, of those TV cameras behind of all, in front of, of all things an airplane. I, I couldn't figure that out. But, but nobody listened, Right? I didn't hear anybody listening to what somebody else was saying. I just heard them waiting to, so they could interrupt at an appropriate moment or an inappropriate moment and then talk louder. What would it be like if they were listening to one another? What would it be like if, if we, a, as a society, understood that listening was even more important than speaking? Because there are questions that are being asked all the time. There are questions out there that are being asked of us all the time. And if we but ha had that moment to pause and to listen, then we may be able to respond in some way to what some of those questions are. 
what's going on in my life? Parker Palmer, an amazing educator and writer, once wrote a book called Let Your Life Speak. Let your life speak. And for your life to speak, I think one needs to listen, to hear. We, we, we experience things. We live lives that are experiential, but we don't stop to listen to what our life is saying to us. What's going on? The questions of who, the questions of why, where. Where, where should I move to? What's, what's happening in my neighborhood? Why, why is my brother responding that way? When would be the appropriate time to move my parent in, into a, a, a retirement home? When, sh- when should I change my job? When should I seek help for my marriage and for my child who seems to be struggling? Without the ability to listen, then those questions not only do they not go answered, but, but they're never even recognized. And each and every one of us in, in our lives has a series of those questions that are constantly being asked of us. As a, as a community, we are, are asking that question of ourselves right now, who? We've, we've talked a lot about, about finding our new rector after I leave. Who? Who might that be? How, how would we find them? I wonder if maybe it's time not to talk but to listen, to pay attention to the world around us, to the changes that are happening so rapidly in our community. Reading yesterday about how that whole end of, of the town center is all changing in the next couple of years. Changes that have happened with the coming of, of the Silver Line. Changes that are happening all the time. Wh- wh- how do they affect us? What does that mean for us as a faith community, as the faith community in this town for our future? Maybe it's time just to listen, pay attention. I don't know. I don't know. So last thing that, that I want to talk about is this, this, you know, all this stuff going on in this reading and, and, and this piece that, that, that Jesus is so careful that no one talks about, about him and what his role is. And he calls himself the Son of Man. And I've done a lot of reading in the past couple of years because that's such a, 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 a sticky point for most scholars. What did Jesus mean when he called himself the Son of Man? He never called himself the Son of God. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. And, and what, did that, what does that mean? And, and, and many, many scholars go, well, the Son of Man is really synonymous with human being. So when Jesus called himself the Son of Man, he called himself a human being, talking about his his um, his his humanness, referring himself as a human being, grounding himself in that sense of his humanity. But I, I think that's not right. I, I think rather than, than Jesus saying that he's human like us, Jesus is telling us that we are more divine like him, that there is something about this Son of Man that, that has a spark of divinity in it, and what Jesus is saying is that you are incredibly powerful. That, that it is not that I deign to become human, that you don't understand that, that there is a divinity inside of you that makes you just amazingly um, able. And that when you realize that divinity that is inside of you, there is nothing that you cannot do. 
Jesus is not stooping to become human. Jesus is asking us, he's pulling us up to be more divine. And how empowering can that possibly be? We can change things. If I'm right, if what Jesus is saying is, is, that, is that I am the, are the child of man and you are the child of man, and what that means is that you are also the child of God in the same way as I am the child of God, then if we have that power, then if we but know that and use that, we can change the world. All the stuff that I've been talking about doesn't have to be that way. Then when we realize that, that loving nature that's inside of us, the core of each and every one of us, that Jesus recognized in each and every one of us, then we can change if we listen. So anyway, I want to read you a poem. Um, David White, one of my favorite poets, and he wrote a poem called um, Sometimes. Sometimes, if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like the ones who could cross a shimmering bed of dry leaves without a sound. You come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests. Conceived out of nowhere but in this place beginning to lead everywhere. Requests to stop what you are doing right now and to stop what you are becoming while you do it Questions that can make or unmake a life. Questions that can make or unmake a life. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Questions that have no right to go away. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Questions that have no right to go away. If we listen.